And uh, today we are into our final week of our sermon series in the beginning. This sermon series is all about the book of Genesis. And um, in one of the countries being mentioned many times in the book of Genesis, Egypt. I remember um, just one Saturday morning a few weeks ago, I went to, my family went to Auckland Museum to visit the uh, Egypt exhibition there. So that's a very popular exhibition. And on their website, they say, so we recommend all visitors book online to avoid queuing at the Tiki desk. They were right. When I first arrived the exhibition room, I feel like I was in a nightclub, <laughs> a very dark place, packed with people, spotlights everywhere, mysterious decoration on the wall, okay? And, um, weird music in the background. So this is pretty good. And this nightclub offered a family pass for $72. Pretty good, without giving you a glass of water. So my kids were with us. But that was a bad idea, because they were not interested in those broken stone, rusty metal. They're not interested in those things. And also, they didn't understand what was written in the descriptions. There was too much information. Okay, too complicated for kids to understand. But finally, I found a very cute model of um, pyramid in, in, in a tea table size over there. And, and the description in front of that seemed simple enough for kids to read. So I just dragged them over there. Hey, come here. You're going to like this one. Can you read what's on that? And they said, do not touch. Who knows, maybe that's the original name of the pyramid. That makes sense, right? That's the tomb of Pharaoh. It was not supposed to be touched by anyone. We got forbidden city in China. That means the same thing. So do not touch. But when you go to the um, museum, you will come across all kinds of um, statues, figurines of gods, many, many gods, untouchable gods. So obviously, in ancient time, Egyptian people, they saw things differently from us today. But here's the thing. In modern world, we're often surrounded by people who see things differently from us. So how do we deal with that? Can we just live and talk the same way as they do? Or we should live a little bit differently from them. Let's remember what Jesus told us. Let's go to Matthew 5, verse 14 to 16. Jesus said, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nobody lights a lamp and then sticks under a ball. No, you put it on a stand and it shines all around. That's what you should do too. Let your light shine before everyone so they can see the good things you do and give glory to God in heaven. So living a life that honors God in the presence of others, especially those who don't share our beliefs, is crucial. Therefore, honoring God is not just something on Sundays in the church. It's an everyday thing from Monday to Saturday no matter where we are. As affirmed in 1 Samuel chapter 2, God says this. He says, those who honor me, I will honor. 
Those who honor me, I will honor. That means as we honor God in the real world, God will honor us in return. So if we desire God's blessings in our workplaces, in our homes, in our classrooms, we must uphold our commitment to honoring God in the real world. But the question is, how do we do it? How do we do it? So today I'm going to share with you the story of Joseph in the book of Genesis chapter 41. You know, Joseph is the younger son of Jacob. Jacob was the guy wrestled with God, I mentioned in, in, in the sermon of week one of this series. Joseph was a Jewish man who believes in one true God. But he was living in Egypt, where he was surrounded by people who believe in many, many gods. And yet, God elevated this man to the second most powerful person in Egypt, right next to Pharaoh. So his position was like today's prime minister to the king. So his situation was just like a Christian living in a secular world. So I believe Joseph's story is the best example for us to learn how to succeed in the secular world. But meanwhile, we're honoring God in this world. So let's give you a recap of this man's story. When he was 17, his brothers did really bad things, bad things to him. They sold him as a slave in Egypt. So he ended up working for a man named Potiphar. Things went well for a while, but then he was accused of something he didn't even do and thrown into the jail. Joseph had a very strong spiritual gift for interpreting dreams. While he was in jail, he helped a fellow prisoner by explaining his strange dream. This fellow prisoner used to be, um, used to be a cupbearer in the palace. That means he was serving drinks to Pharaoh. That was a very important position. But he got a very strange dream. He didn't understand. Joseph helped him interpret it. According to Joseph's interpretation, he says, hey, you don't need to worry about your situation because according to your dream, you will get out of here. You will get your job back and serve Pharaoh again. But my friend, please remember this. When you get out of here, remember me, okay? Help me get out of here. So everything Joseph said came true. So when this cupbearer was freed, he forgot. He forgot Joseph. Two years, two more years passed. Joseph was still in the jail, and now he was 30 years old. One day in the palace, Pharaoh had a very strange dream he couldn't understand. Let's go to Genesis 41, verse 5 to 7. Now, here's the Pharaoh's dreams, okay? Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. You know, just imagine I have seven fingers in my hand, okay? Seven heads of grain. After then, um, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. So the seven unhealthy dried grains ate up 
the seven healthy ones. So he didn't understand. This was so confusing. And none of the wise men around him could explain it. Then the cup bearer finally recalled, oh yeah, <laughs> there was a man, Joseph, in the jail. He was pretty good at it. I totally forgot. And then Pharaoh sent Joseph to the palace. Let's go to Genesis 41, verse 14. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph. He was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Friends, 13 years, 13 years of unfair situations, tough times. Now, Joseph was facing Pharaoh in the palace. And this event turned out to be the pivotal moment that transformed Joseph's life entirely, taking him from being a prisoner to the prime minister. So the first thing we should learn from this guy is be patient with God's timing. We must be patient with God's timing. From the age of 17 to 30, all kinds of tough times, hey, including spending more than two years in jail. Bible says the jail cell, uh, the prison cell was a dungeon. He stayed in the dungeon for two years. I once lived in a small apartment for two years, and I thought, life was tough. <laughs> that was back in 2011. The market was slow, and my business was struggling. So I had to downsize, downsize from the house I built for myself and into a small apartment. I was a single man living in a two-bedroom apartment with two parking spaces in St. Luke's. And I say to myself, life was so tough. One morning, um, yeah, one morning during the Christmas season, I was sitting in the couch asking God, God, why? Why, why nothing has changed? How long, how long should I keep waiting? You know, I told God, listen God, I have been a faithful Christian for nearly two months. <laughs> I had got baptized at the end of October. And then I found myself complaining to God that nothing had changed by December. <laughs> that was the extent of my patience. So let's go to Psalm 37, verse 7. It says, be still before the Lord. Listen to this. Wait patiently for him. Wait patiently for him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways when they carry out their wicked schemes. Wait patiently for him. Let me ask you, could Joseph have anticipated that he would be called by Pharaoh? I don't think so. Could he, be, uh, could he have expected that this incident would be related to a dream? I don't think so. Joseph could never have foreseen this opportunity. So what did he do? He waited patiently for God. So we may never know in advance how God is working to move us toward his purpose, but we can always wait patiently for him. So friends, maybe now you are seeking an opportunity, an open door, a breakthrough in your career or in your life. 
Let me tell you this: don't take shortcuts like others might, but follow Joseph's example. Be patient with God's timing. That's how we honor God in the real world. My second thought for you today is: bear witness to God's sovereignty. Bear witness to God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty means that God is in complete control of all His creation. He has the power to make things happen according to His plan, and nothing happens without His permission. That's why there's a worship song called "King of Kings," because God is the ultimate ruler of the whole universe, and our ultimate mission is to bear witness to His sovereignty on earth. As Jesus said in Acts one, He says, "You will be my witness to the ends of the earth." And that was exactly what Joseph did when he was facing Pharaoh, Genesis forty-one, verse fifteen to sixteen. Pharaoh said to Joseph, "I had a dream, and no one can interpret it. But I have heard it said about you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it," Joseph replied to Pharaoh. But God. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. It's all about God. It's not about me or you. God. And after this, three times, another three times, Joseph tells Pharaoh that God has determined what is going to happen, and that it will happen because God has decided. Verse twenty-five. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. Verse twenty-eight, Joseph said, "God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do." Verse thirty-two, the matter has been has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. When I visit the uh,、um, museum, I found some intriguing facts about Pharaoh I had never known before. Because I used to think Pharaoh was just simply the king of Egypt, right? No, more than that, Pharaoh was considered as a god in human form. He's a god. So just imagine Pharaoh, not just a king, but a god walking among us, and everyone believe he is God. But according to Joseph's testimony, no, Pharaoh, you just. You're just a human being, like the rest of us, and you can't change God's plan. You can't stop God, no matter you agree or not. Furthermore, Joseph interpreted the dream exactly according to God's original intention, without any sugar coating. Before we delve into Joseph's interpretation, let's recap what Pharaoh's dream is about. You remember, there's a Uh, seven strong and healthy grain growing up, and then seven weak and dry up grain appeared and ate up all the healthy ones. So that's Joseph's interpretation, Genesis forty-one verse twenty-nine to thirty. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt. Okay, that was the、uh, seven healthy grains. But seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. Wow! 
Life didn't sound like good news at all. But Joseph was not afraid to make it clear to Pharaoh. He spoke to Pharaoh respectfully, but directly. You see, he didn't use any, you know, political tactics to appease the audience and avoid the conflicts. So here's the thing, very important, my friends. Joseph didn't talk or act like a politician, but eventually he became the most successful politician in Egypt. Can anyone explain that to me? Why? Why? Because your success will come by bearing witness to the power of God, not through the power of man. That's why. Remember, God says, "Who those who honor me, I will honor." As you honor God in the real world, God will honor you in return. But bearing witness to God's sovereignty doesn't mean we go all around challenging everyone's beliefs. That's not Joseph's approach. We got to be careful. Joseph was able to serve as God's witness before Pharaoh because Pharaoh needed his help, and Joseph was the only one who could help. Everyone needs some help at some point in life, even a mighty king like Pharaoh. So, friends, if we want to draw people close to God, the first step for us is to identify their needs. How can we help our community? How can we help the people who don't know God yet? Instead of throwing the information in their faces and tell them, "Hey, if you don't believe it, you go to hell." No, that's not Joseph's approach. That's not even Jesus' approach. In the New Testament, Jesus was always mingle with people, <laughs> having meal with sinners, identify their needs, help them, heal them, forgive them. That's the right approach for us to influence our community, to influence our workplace, because people are less likely to be defensive in such situation because they need our help. By helping them, we open the door for them to witness God's power in action. Let me ask you: Do you know anyone in your life now facing a challenge that only God can tackle? Reach out, help them, open the doors for them to witness God's sovereignty. My last point for you today is: be the best where you stand. Be the best where you stand. Now everyone knows: hey, this Joseph was super spiritual, super godly. However, here's the key. Just interpreting the dream doesn't solve the problem. Just interpreting the dream doesn't save millions of people from starvation. If you really want to solve the problem, you need a practical plan and carry it out. That's exactly what Joseph did. Here's his plan: Genesis 41, verse. Thirty-four to thirty-five. Let Pharaoh appoint the commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years' abundance. Save twenty percent from each year. 
They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. And then he says, this food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may, may not be ruined by the famine. So the plan seemed so good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So you see, Joseph was not just spiritual, godly. He was also very practical. And then he got promoted. Genesis 41, verses 39 to 40, Pharaoh said this to Joseph, Hey, since God has made all this known to you, there's no one so discerning and wise as you. Hey, Joseph, I think you are the best person to run this project. You are the best person for this position. You shall be in charge of my palace. And all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. You are my right-hand man now. You are the prime minister of Egypt now. So at the end of the story, Bible says, Genesis 41, verses 56 to 57, when the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe throughout Egypt, and all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. So Joseph was not only godly and spiritual, he was also skilled in what he did. He proposed a wise plan of action, and he was able to carry it out. So as Christians, we need to be godly. We need to be, we need to be spiritual, but we also need to excel in our work. That's how we honor God in the real world. Worship team, please come up. I know now some people might say, hey, God, here's the deal. If you can promote me, okay, if you can put me in my dream job, if you can promote me to become, you know, prime minister or something like that, I will give you my best, okay? I will bring out my best. I will work as hard as Joseph. I will be as faithful as Joseph. But now the work I'm doing, he doesn't deserve my best. I hated it. When I first started working in the uh, building industry 20 years ago, my boss made me do nothing but dirty job every day. Collecting rubbish, cleaning site, every day. I hated it. It didn't deserve my best. So every Friday afternoon, when my boss was not on site, we got a small um, side office, and there is a three-seater couch in the office. So when my boss was not on site, I would sneak into the side office, okay? Lie on the couch with my shoes on, <laughs> and have a sweet nap. That was the best naps I ever had in my life. Because I felt so good about it back then. But now, 
I was so embarrassed. That was, that was totally wrong. That was absolutely unacceptable. Everyone, everyone should took off your shoes first and then lie on the couch. <laughs> That's how I teach my kids nowadays, okay? How can you lie on the couch with your shoes on? Ridiculous. Friends, that's the common mistake we all make. We say to God, God, I will give you my best. I will do my best when you put me in the place I want. When you give me the job I want, when you open door to the opportunity I want, and then I will show you my best. No, that's not the story of Joseph. Let me tell you this. You remember when he first came to Egypt, he was just a servant in Potiphar's house. But here's the thing, um, Genesis 39, 4. Joseph found favor in his eyes, Potiphar's eyes, and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted his care, everything he owned. So when Joseph was just a servant, he was the best servant in the household. And then he became a prisoner. Okay, that was a way worse situation. Same. He found favor in the eyes of the prison warder. Genesis 39, 22. The warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison. And he was made responsible for all that was done there. When Joseph was a prisoner, he was the best prisoner in jail. Joseph was always the best wherever he stood, whether as a servant or as a prisoner. And then God promoted him to the prime minister. So friends, you need to be the best at your current level. You need to be the best at your current level and your promotion will follow. God will promote you to the position he wants you to be. But it's now the other way around where you ask God to promote you first, and then you will show your best. Be the best where you stand. Be the best where you stand. And that's how we honor God in the real world. So as we close today's sermon, friends, let me ask you. You can see out of the three points we discussed today, which one resonates with you the most right now? Which one is the message that God is speaking to your situation today? Do you feel the need to cultivate more patience with God's timing? Or perhaps you are seeking greater courage to bear witness to God's sovereignty in your life? Or maybe you find a desire within you to invest more efforts into being the best where you stand. Whatever it is, always remember this. Those who honor me, I will honor. As you honor God in the real world, God will honor you in return. Now let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence with us today. And we thank you for your wisdom and the truth 
you revealed through the story of Joseph. Lord, today we come before you with grateful hearts. Please help us cultivate patience as we trust in your timing. Lord, please fill us with courage to witness your power, your sovereignty in all aspects of our lives. Please guide us to give our best wherever we stand. As we honor you in the real life, in the real world, Lord, may your blessings surround us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. As everyone is praying in the moment, I would like to ask some of you here, if you don't know God, if you feel you are away from God, today I want you to know that God loves you. He has a great plan for your life. You are here because God brought you here. Today is the day to transform your life entirely. God wants today to become the pivotal moment in your life, like Joseph facing Pharaoh. He wants you to know that you belong to him. He loves you. He wants to show you his grace. So if that is you, I want to invite you to pray a very simple prayer by following me. This prayer will help you open your heart to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Because we all have sinned and messed up at some point in life. Our sin separated us from God. But in God's grace, he sent his one and only son, Jesus, come to us, die for us on the cross. As Jesus died, he took on himself all the penalty for our sins so that we can be reconciled with God. So if you decided to pray this prayer with me, I'm going to pray out loud. All you need to do is pray in your heart by following me. Are you ready? Let's do it. Dear God, today I submit my life to you. Jesus, please come into my life. Today I receive you as my Lord and Savior. I know I'm a sinner, and I know, Jesus, you died for me. From today, I choose to turn away from my old life and turn to you. And I will follow you and live for you forever. I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you just pray that prayer, God bless you.